Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt God's name together. For this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us truly rejoice and be glad in it. Dear Lord, we are grateful for this opportunity to break bread together. May this bread, this feast, this communion moment by the sharing of your word, nourish, convict, and encourage. It is in your name that we pray and together we all said, amen. You may be seated. This morning, I'd like to shine the homiletical spotlight onto a few lines of the gospel text that was read in your hearing from the chapter 18 of the book of Luke. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves and rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all of my income, but that tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. As we think on those prayers together, I ask that you would join me in thinking through the topic face to face. Author Janine Roth wrote a book entitled Women, Food, and God. In her book, rather than focusing on dieting and cutting desires out of your life, she zeroes in on something entirely different, your relationship with yourself. After years of binge eating and self-loathing, losing and gaining weight on the verge of suicide, Roth makes the point that your relationship with weight is a disguise for your relationship with yourself. In her book, she says that we turn to food when we are not hungry because we are hungry for something we cannot name, a connection to what is beyond the concerns of daily life, something sacred. She goes on to say that replacing the hunger for a divine connection with double stuffed Oreos, and I'll insert chips for a friend, <laughs> is like giving a glass of sand to a person who is dying of thirst. In the book of Romans, Paul says it differently. He says that God's creation, us, groans inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as the sons and the daughters. We inwardly crave God. But in order to quench that inner hunger, that inner thirst, rather than face ourselves and discern what we need or even want, we try to feed ourselves with things, with busyness and that which cannot feed us or satisfy our very cravings. Sometimes we're aware of our inner needs, our wants, our desires, what we need to address, what we need to do differently. But rather than face all of that, we run or we turn away. Also, although some of us may not turn to food, we may turn to other things, things other than God to try to quench that inner thirst, things to soothe our inner pain and our discomfort. We may turn to our jobs because that seems legitimate. We may turn to people, to busy schedules, drugs, alcohol, 
all types of distractions because we're ultimately looking for love in all the wrong places. We're trying our best to quench this hunger and this thirst without always being honest about where it comes from and what it truly needs because many of us are scrapping the pieces together so that we don't fall apart. So as a result of not filling our voids, our souls, many of us are running on empty. We're scattered in so many directions, we don't know which way is up. We're not centered in our spiritual lives, our mental space, our physical space. And if truth be told, we should be hanging out of order signs on our backs. We're trying to be mother and father, daughter and son, brother and sister, husband and wife, star on the job, perfect person, great minister, preacher, great singer, problem fixer. But because we're running on empty, we're somewhat ineffective in all of our roles. We look everywhere else for restoration and peace. We look for a space to rest, but we can't stop the worry in our minds, nor the unrest in our souls. And the only place where we can truly find that soothing and rest for our souls and our minds is in God. As the psalmist says, as David writes in Psalm 23, he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. God's mercy, forgiveness, and grace restores our souls, not food, not chips, not double stuffed Oreos, not new shoes, but they're really nice. Not our bank accounts, not drugs, not alcohol, God. Our text today brings us to this point of encounter with ourselves and with God. It illustrates what happens when a person decides that they will no longer run from God to sin, no longer hide behind self-righteousness and deeds, but instead run from sin to God. In our text, we meet two characters. Both of them nameless, both of them described by their vocations and by the words of their prayers. One is a Pharisee, a member of an ancient Jewish sect who strictly followed traditions and rituals and laws rather than seeking to understand the very spirit of the laws and the one who the laws and the rituals point to. I always say the Pharisees were like hall monitors. They followed behind Jesus with a pad and paper to mark down everything they thought he did wrong. Jesus says of the Pharisees in Matthew, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, he says. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but the inside is full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, Jesus says, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish. And then the outside will also be clean. The other man in the text is the tax collector, also known as a publican because they were contracted to work for the Roman government and to badger the Jews for payments, taxes. Tax collectors in those days were considered the sellouts, the traitors, and they were despised by Jews because the Jews felt as though they conspired with the Roman government. 
The text tells us that these two men came to the temple and prayed. So first, let's have a brief celebration that at least they came to the temple. (laughs) Right? At least they made their way to God's house. And highlighting that fact is important because what it reveals to us is that God's house has room for all, has room for the self-righteous and the self-proclaimed sinner. They go into the temple because as the psalmist says in our psalm that was read or sung so beautifully this morning, happy are they whom choose to draw to your courts and to dwell there, for it is there that they will be satisfied by the beauty of your house and by the holiness of your temple. So these two men came into the temple. Secondly, these two men prayed. I mean, you can't ask for much more, can you? They're holy, they're in the temple, they're being disciplined, and they pray. But let's take a look at the words of their prayer. The Pharisees' prayer was very unlike the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. For in that prayer, which we now know as the Lord's Prayer, the focus is on God, on God's sovereignty and provision, on God's forgiveness and God's protection and God's power. Instead, the Pharisee focuses on the Pharisee's good deeds not God. The text tells us that the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself and all that he had done and was somewhat proud of all that he had done. The tax collector, on the other hand, doesn't focus on his deeds. He doesn't focus on his self-proclaimed righteousness or his holiness, but instead he focuses in on who he is. Not what he does, but who he is a sinner saved by grace. The tax collector comes face to face with himself. He's not running from himself. He's not hiding from himself. He's not, he's not denying himself. He comes face to face with himself. He comes from the heart and from the place of humility rather than pride and self-righteousness. His prayer is not about performance, but about confession and supplication. He shows us that prayers don't have to be eloquent. They don't have to be written and edited. They don't have to be well-spoken. They can be broken down and basic. God, I'm a sinner and I need your mercy. That is the kind of prayer that gets God's attention. For Jesus reminds us, or, 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 or we're reminded actually in the Old Testament, that God doesn't see the outer person as we do. God sees the heart. This tax collector realizes that no matter what rules he's followed, no matter how well he's practiced his faithful rituals, no matter his good or his bad, his title, his seniority, he is still a sinner in need of God's mercy. The prayer of the tax collector is a prayer that flows from a face-to-face encounter. This face-to-face encounter is the inward journey. It is a moment that Thomas Merton and other contemplatives encourage us to have because it is a journey inward into one's true self. It is there where we must confront those things within us that contradict, counter, and in some instances resist the will of God. When was the last time you looked yourself in the eye? Figuratively and literally. I mean, literally, in the morning, brushing your teeth. Do you ever look yourself in the eye? You should try it, but do it privately, not with other people watching. That's 
But look at yourself in the eye, for the eyes are the windows to the soul. So even figuratively, have you checked in with your soul lately? Have you realized the reason behind your fatigue and, and your weariness to identify the needs and the things that are distancing you from the God of your salvation rather than drawing you closer? In that face-to-face -face encounter, we look at ourselves face to face and see who we honestly are, not who we present ourselves to be, not our representatives, the ones, you know, those, our representatives are great people. They follow all the rules. They are mannerable. They're kind and gentle and faithful and righteous and prayerful and disciplined and all of those good things. But who are you beneath the veneer? Before you turn me out, this is not a word to, con to, to fully convict you and leave you there. I know some of you are already debating in your head, but I'm a good person. I encourage you to stay with me. And may we all be reminded that even when Jesus was called the good teacher, he reminded the person that no one is good but God. If we remove the veneer of our representative and have this face-to-face -face moment with ourselves, perhaps we can get to the root cause of the problem, the separation, the, the dissatisfaction, the thirstiness and the cravings. Remember in that moment that we too are all sinners and as Paul has said, have fallen short of the glory of God. I love that the tax collector has no name and that his sin also has no name because it invites us all into the picture. When we come face to face with ourselves and set aside our titles, set aside our bank accounts and our positions and our holiness, then we can realize who we really are. And in that moment that we've all fallen short at some point, we must confront the fact that we're all sinners saved by grace. You do realize that you cannot save yourself, that no amount of work and no great resume can actually save you, that you cannot work your way to salvation, that you can't work your way into heaven. You can't buy a ticket. You can't buy a table. You, me, we all need God's mercy and God's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like you and like me. And like the tax collector cries out in that face-to-face -face moment, God have mercy. He realizes that he needs God. So not only does this text bring us into a face-to-face -face encounter with ourselves, it brings us into a face-to-face -face encounter with God. Perhaps if we step back and look at the text again, we don't see two different men, but perhaps we see two sides of ourselves. Perhaps the Pharisee is the side of us that's proud and yet cloaked and hiding behind. And the tax collector is the side of us that can't hide any longer, that wants more out of life, more than sin and consequence. I want to encourage you this morning not to listen to the voice of the Pharisee within that wants to chastise and criticize, but rather to follow the example of the tax collector and cry out to God for mercy, 
For only God is the balm in Gilead that can heal the sin-sick soul and justify us into new life. It is in the place when we come face to face with God that we can begin to replenish our souls and quench our weariness with a well whose spring never runs dry. Howard Thurman reminds us that religious experience in its profoundest dimension is the finding of man by God and the finding of God by man and woman and all of us. The tax collector came to the temple to find and to pray to our God, who is the one that can make a way out of no way. To pray to our God, who with a mere word can calm the hurricanes within and the hurricanes without. To encounter a God who loves us in spite of us. To encounter a God who loves us with an everlasting love that has no beginning and no end. To encounter a God who can quench our very souls and turn our weariness into strength. To encounter a God who exchanges our sin for eternal life. Who can take us from pit dwellers to possibility seekers. When we come face to face with God, we stop sweating the small stuff. We realize how much God has loved us. We receive peace and revival. And perhaps it is in that moment that we can have conversations across political divide, across racial divisions, across haves and have nots, because we realize at the base of it all, we are all sinners saved by grace. We can't overcome by ourselves, for it is God who exalts us. It is God who justifies us. And I love the guarantee clause of our faith. That justification and exaltation is guaranteed when they hung him on a cross and stretched him wide. When he hung his head and he died for you and for me. When he rose again to remind us that it is in him that we have our new tomorrow. It is in him that we have and harbor our quenching soul moments. It is in him when we lean into God's faithfulness, into God's righteousness rather than our own, that we encounter a new heaven and a new earth and a world waiting to unfold before our very eyes. Amen.